Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is my colleague, Joe Healy, and we are here to break down Week 10 to preview, I I guess I should say, to preview Week 10 of college baseball. Uh, We are zooming right along. We're less than six weeks away from Selection Monday, and uh, we're into into the thick of, of everything in, in conference play, got some rival reaction going on this week. Uh, we have a top 25 and, and one versus two showdown in the Big 12. We're going to get into that. Uh, some intriguing ACC series, uh, a big series in the SoCon, a big series in the Big 10. A lot to talk about here on the Baseball America College podcast. So that's what we're going to do today, Joe. We're, we're going we're gonna to dive right in and, uh, you know, I, let's actually start with some of these rivalries. We're not actually going to break any of these down, but I think that it's, it's interesting that there are so many of these rivalries and there are weird things, like not weird things on the line, but just different. The, the rivalries are different this year. So this weekend you have Mississippi and Mississippi State playing, and those two teams, instead of battling for the top of the SEC West, are in last place. Uh, the loser is going to walk out of this weekend in last place in the division and in serious trouble in terms of making regionals. You have Arizona and Arizona State, and Arizona State is not really in the NCAA tournament mix right now, though a series win at Arizona might kind of change that, but their RPI is floating around 100, and they're just about 500 on the season. Ohio State and Michigan are playing, and Michigan's in the mix for the tournament. Ohio State decidedly is not. Like, uh, So these are some of the more fun rivalries in college sports, in college baseball, but uh, not quite the high-profile series that, that we would have thought they would be. Yeah, it's part of what kind of has taken the air a little bit out of this weekend. I know you and I, and it's I think for podcast purposes, it might actually be a positive. It gives us a little something different to talk about i mean just to give the listeners an idea like we talk about these series before we record obviously because well that would be something if we like just jumped on and then like then scrolled the scoreboard to figure out what we we're going to talk about but probably would not make for good audio but it became pretty clear like this week that uh, it's, it's a little bit lighter so it's going to give us a chance to talk about some some conferences we haven't spent a ton of time talking about which is good for variety's sake but yeah i mean you've got these big bold series uh, rivalry series that just have taken on different meaning in some cases and and really have maybe only recently taken on different meaning i mean 3 weeks ago we would have looked at arizona arizona state and it might not not even have gotten a cursory mention just because arizona state was really struggling at some point and arizona was kind of cruising along and now of course arizona has done what it's done the last couple of weeks and arizona state has played a little better that's made that a little interesting and Ole Miss really cratering the way it has the last few weeks is actually kind of in a backdoor way made that series interesting for the reasons you laid out. And that's really a series between two rivals that obviously are not happy about the way their respective seasons have gone, but programs that are kind of uh, feeling different ways about it, right? You know, I think Mississippi State fans, one, you're, you're in the afterglow of, an, of a national title. That certainly helps. But also I think there's just an understanding that, hey, you know, this season just kind of, it just feels like it wasn't meant to be this season. You had injury to Landon Sims largely right out of the gate. So that's not great. And you kind of knew you were always behind the eight ball when, when that happened. And so here you are. 
uh, disappointing, but hey, you know, we'll go get them next year. And then, of course, you've got Ole Miss, which is coming at it a different way, where there's a lot of existential questions being asked in that program and around that program. And um, there's just a lot of a lot of anxiety about the way that has gone in Oxford. So not the series that we kind of thought they would be, but certainly still with some intrigue for, you know, for, for legitimate baseball purposes and also for, you know, people who are into uh, to watching anxious baseball and, and seeing anxiety play out on the field. How many Mississippi State fans, Joe, do you think made some sort of deal where they were like, look, if we just win this national title, I don't, I don't care what happens the rest of the way. Like, just give me, just give me this one. And now they're they're like seeing what the the, right. the the consequences of that. Yeah, the other shoe dropping. Yeah, some of that depends on like how old you are, right? Like if you're like, oh my, if you're doing the math in your head, it's like, ah, oh, this this might be my last great Mississippi State team. You know, you're a little more willing to maybe make that kind of deal. But I think a lot of people probably in the moment thought they would like to make that deal, and then it's it's so funny. It just it's just human nature, right? Where you ask the you ask them next year, like Mississippi State is going to be awful for the next. 10 years, which of course will not happen, but just hypothetically, like, would you take a national title for that? And I think a lot of people would have been like, oh yeah, I mean, that's, that's why we're here. Like we've gone this long without one. Right. So, you know, to guarantee one would be great. And then that, that very next season, you realize kind of what that means now. And you start to maybe question your, your choices because uh, these seasons can be a slog if the team is not particularly good. And that's kind of what they're, what they're dealing with now. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a return to, uh, you know, I talked about this in the offseason that Mississippi State was a program not so long ago that was not was not um, immune from having a season like this periodically. And they just hadn't had one in a while. And, and it, like I said, it, it took some kind of weird stuff happening for them to have this kind of season again, which I think says something about how the high level at which they're operating. But this was, you know, this was kind of par for the course, not just for Mississippi State, but, you know, this is kind of the typical thing, right? You win a national title, the team rebuilds, and you're just not as good next year. And so, that's uh, that's kind of what they're dealing with now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the it was in 2015 that they were in last place, 16, something like that, and uh, in, in the SEC. And then they go worst to first. I guess that was 15 last place, 16. They win the SEC title. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it, it was that's a while ago now, but it wasn't so terribly long ago. And uh, of course, they'll be hoping to uh, to reverse that next year. But uh, this weekend, uh, kind of last chance corral, I think, for either one of those teams. Um, they're just behind the eight ball in terms of needing SEC wins. Ole Miss sitting on five right now. Um, you know, you're, you're going to have just a lot of work to do in the second half of the SEC season. And that uh, for both teams starts with their, their arch rival. And, um, you know, we'll see what, what happens out West with Arizona and Arizona State. Uh, Arizona State won a midweek game between those two teams two weeks ago. Uh, in Phoenix this time, they'll be on the road. Uh, of course, Arizona has already lost a few home series this season so uh, maybe Arizona State can take heart in that as well but they're also at a point where they just if they're going to you know improve that RPI to a point where we can talk about them as a legitimate at-large possibility there they need to they need to get a move on and that has to start this weekend and honestly I don't even know what Ohio State will <laughs> I guess they're just trying to get to the Big Ten tournament at this point and uh, they typically play pretty well uh, there in Omaha, so maybe at that point you could do something. But 
they're in a different situation. Michigan needs the RPI uh, help just from winning as many games as possible. So that's kind of what's on the line in the the big rivalry series uh, this weekend. Did want to mention them. They all are, you know, none of those series involve ranked teams. They're, they're just a little more off the radar than uh, you would like those those kinds of rivalries to be, but did want to uh, to touch on them here on the podcast. Uh, all right, Joe, so with that out of the way, let's get to the main event of the weekend, and that is a top 15 series, uh, Big 12, first place in the Big 12 on the line, as Oklahoma State hosts TCU. The Cowboys are coming off of a big series win in Morgantown uh, that put them into first place. Texas Christian, uh, TCU, there we go, um, if you see it in print, that's how we refer to them. Anyway, TCU uh, coming off of a big sweep of Texas Tech, and that pushed them into second place in the Big 12, setting up this showdown in Stillwater. Uh, both teams you know, are looking good coming into this. Uh, TCU really needed that against Texas Tech last weekend, though, because they had been scuffling a little bit. They lost to West Virginia. They lost at Texas. Uh, things looked like... The, the good early start that they had gone off to in conference play looked like it might be getting away from them a little bit, but they uh, they very much turned that around last week against the Red Raiders. And, uh, you know, that, that puts all the more emphasis on this weekend, uh, which is going to have really outsized implications on the, on the title race. Yeah, it's funny, uh, life and this has to be so frustrating for mid-major programs and conferences. And we understand, of course, that rankings are just rankings. And but this is also true in terms of RPI and postseason positioning. That like life is good when you're in these major conferences, man. Because TCU loses a series to West Virginia, loses a series to Texas, sweeps Texas Tech, and like but uh ranked, you know. Now there was also chaos in the rankings that helped to like shoot them up a little further. Yeah, I mean but, ranked, but but ranked 15th is the other thing, right? Here. Yeah, coming off two series losses, they sweep a team, and there they are, right in the middle of the rankings. And so, um, that's you know, again, life in a power conference. Um, and that's you know, that's the way it works in RPI, right? I mean, like you win one marquee series in the SEC, and to a lesser but still true degree in the in the in the ACC and, and Big Twelve and Pac Twelve, and you're right back in the thick of things in a place that you weren't before. So, um, Oklahoma State, interestingly, is now getting into. You know, they've kind of quietly just taken care of their business ever since they got swept by Gonzaga in a weird series, it should be noted. I mean, that thing got pushed to a Monday game that was like early in the afternoon, and I'm sure the weather wasn't great. I mean, I'm sure that's the reason why it got pushed. But but since then, they've really done a pretty good job of quite, kind of quietly taking care of their business, but they really are now getting to the business end of their schedule. I mean, so far, they've played in conference, Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma, and West Virginia. None of those teams are any better than I would say bubble. So now they're really getting in the teeth of it. TCU, Texas, Texas Tech still to come. So this is this is when prove it time is, which kind of goes without saying. But um, this is you know we will learn how, to what degree Oklahoma State being a team you know number two in the country. To what degree are you actually the number two team in the country? I think we're about to find out. Not just this weekend, but in general, kind of as the season moves forward. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. It's been a while since they've played a team of TCU's caliber. And I keep saying that it, 
because like when they played Oklahoma State, I was like, it's been a month since they played any, or when they played Oklahoma, it was like, it'd been a month since they'd played a team that was in the tournament picture. And, you know, now it's probably still been since Gonzaga that they played any team, the, the caliber of TCU. I really like West Virginia, Oklahoma's having a pretty solid season, but you're right. They're not terribly better than bubble right now. Um, and so, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how, how Oklahoma state is able to handle this. I think it's significant that it's in Stillwater. Um, and, but I, I'm most interested to see what the, uh, what the, the Oklahoma state pitching staff is able to do here, because, you know, there's been a lot of talk about how good that rotation can be and how those three guys seem to be getting closer to gelling and Bryce Osmond has come on of late and, uh, on Sundays and Justin Campbell looks really good on Fridays. And we know what Victor Medeiros can do on Saturdays, even if it's been a little inconsistent. Um, but now they're going to have to do it against a good TCU offense and against a, a TCU pitching staff that has kind of found its own legs. Riley Cornelio has you know, been really solid on Fridays all season long, but Marcelo Perez the last couple of weeks has come in to the rotation. And I think, uh, you know, really added something there, uh, in that number two slot. And, uh, Brett Walker has been, uh, has, has been good on, uh, on Sunday. So they, they've, they also have a really nice one, two, three, they have an excellent closer in river ridings. You know, we know what Oklahoma state's bullpen is like as well. That's it's quite good. Uh, so I, I, I think this should be a really well-pitched series. I don't know, uh, you know, who really has the advantage offensively. But I, I just think from a pitching standpoint, there's a lot of depth to, to both of these rotations. There's, uh, you know, premium stuff at the back end. I, I think they're, they're just really set up well to, uh, to, to match up against each other. Yeah, I think that that was me, listeners. If you heard a noise, that was me dropping my pop screen on, onto the microphone. So that was uh, hopefully that made for as good audio as it was, as it was for me here. Um, <laughs> um i I think it's a good point i mean i think these teams really kind of mirror each other in a lot of ways on the mound you mentioned bryce osmond coming on and marcelo perez being a little bit of a revelation for tcu it feels like so it feels like these two teams have found a little something on the mound one from a guy in osmond who's been in the rotation from the jump and one in perez who just got inserted but they do seem to respectively have given their teams a little bit of a jolt and so um there's that there's that aspect there's also frankly you know the thought of where would they be without kind of the guys they built this thing around right and so uh you know Justin Campbell for Oklahoma State um being at the front of the rotation for for the Cowboys and then for TCU you've got Riley Cornelio who you mentioned who has really been excellent in in, in Big 12 play I mean in particular 165 ERA and 32 and two-thirds in Big 12 play which is obviously outstanding so those two guys being as good as they have been this season. And last week we kind of talked about with, with Justin Campbell, like maybe we could nitpick a little bit and he's had some rough outings. K state comes to mind, even against Oklahoma, he was just pretty decent, but really bounced back last week against West Virginia. But by and large, he's been really, really solid for them. And so those two guys being as good as they have been for the duration has allowed, it feels like those pitching staffs to, okay, we can kind of breathe easy on Friday, relatively speaking. And then we can take some time to kind of build out the rest of this thing because those were the question; those were where the questions lie for those respective pitching staffs. 
Um, offensively, for TCU, Actually, before, I mean, before you get into talk, the offense, yeah, go ahead. Uh, sure. the, the, I, I yeah. think the closers deserve a shout out here as well. Trevor Martin and River Ridings being that that anchor at the back end also has allowed everything else to to work around because I mean, River Ridings has like ten saves. I don't know how many Trevor Martin has, but like the, they they both have been have been outstanding. And you know, so yeah, you've got the piece at the front end, you got the piece at the back end. Building in the middle has been something that both teams have had the the luxury to do because they know where their anchors are. Nine saves for Trevor Martin. So right there. Offensively for TCU, like Tommy Sacco is kind of a really kind of an incredible story. Like it's a guy who, when I first saw him in at the start of the 2020 season, they were playing out in LA when I happened to be there and was like kind of a, you know, it was, it was a question mark what he was going to be offensively it was a solid defensive shortstop kind of knew what you were going to get there. And if he hits, like you weren't sure what kind of physicality you were going to get. Now he's a guy who's hitting, you know, 387. He's got 16 doubles, you know, six home runs. And I think even more crucially, when you kind of filter to conference numbers, uh, he's first of all, he's the only guy hitting above 300 for TCU in conference play, uh, but he's hitting 436 in conference play. Had an incredible weekend against Texas um, a couple of weekends ago in a, in a series loss, obviously. But, um, you know, he's really kind of been the guy who's making that offense go, which is not really what I would have obviously anticipated when an offense that, that has a guy like Braden Taylor or Elijah Nunez. But those are two guys that in conference play just haven't been as good. I mean, Braden Taylor is still hitting for some power, but he's hitting 250 and Elijah Nunez is hitting 254. And, uh, you know, Gray Rogers is hitting 231 in conference play. So this is an offense that, um, you know, without Tommy Sacco stepping up, it would be in a, in a worse place. And so perhaps if you want to look into uh, the positive spin of that, it's that this offense is better than that. Some of those guys I talked about that have been scuffling a big 12 player better than that. So you have to kind of assume water is going to find its level here a little bit with Oklahoma state. I'll just leave it at, I'm not really exactly sure what to make of their offense. And that's been true for me really all year. Um, Griffin Dorshing being back has helped. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago as maybe something that could jumpstart things a little bit. He has been good since he's returned. He's added a physical element to that lineup. Um, so that has been a, a positive there, but you know, they're, they're, they haven't had a, a standout season from Caden Trinkle, Nolan McLean's hitting for some power, but he's striking out a ton. Rock Reggio has had some moments, but he's going through some of the freshman struggles. You might, you know, you might expect someone to have in the big 12. Uh, Jake Thompson got off to a really hot start, but he's hitting 225 in conference. Um, so their guy has kind of been David Mindham. Marcus Brown has had a nice season. He's hitting well in conference. Those two guys have been a big part of it, but um, that's kind of where I am looking to see some some growth or at least to see some kind of crystallizing of exactly what this offense is and what this offense can do against good pitching, because that's kind of where I have my questions with Oklahoma state. And it, it could be a me problem. It could just be me not exactly seeing what this team is offensively and maybe just looking for my own eyes to kind of figure out what to, to grab onto here. Yeah. I, I, I think that there is, there are some questions about this offense uh, door sharing being hurt for a while. And I think you, Morrell was hurt for a while as well um that kind of left them in a bit of a bind which was surprising because oklahoma state typically hits really well but you know they've been able to find enough offense and 
you know, one thing about the last couple teams that they've played is that they do pitch pretty well, Oklahoma and West Virginia. Uh, it's not going to change this weekend against TCU, but they, they, th- those are the kind of the standout things there. So they've had some difficult series and they found a way. So I, I think that it's got to be on the mound uh, this weekend for, for the pokes, but um, there, there are some pieces of this offense that, that you could point to and, um, you know, think that maybe they'll bounce back like a Jake Thompson or, uh, maybe Doris Shereen as, as they get deeper into big 12 play and he gets close to fully hundred percent, you know, that that's a, uh, that's a better spot for them to be in. And yeah, Tommy Sacco has been outstanding for TCU. I don't know where they'd be without him. Um, and you knew there was going to be a guy or two like that with this TCU offense. Like that's not an indictment of TCU at all because there was just so much turnover from last year. Somebody had to step up and uh, we're finding out that it's Tommy Sacco and uh, he's uh just night after night, it seems like he's he's coming up with uh, with clutch hits and big hits, and uh, that's uh, that's absolutely a big deal for uh, for the frogs. I mentioned this weekend going to have outsized importance on the Big Twelve title races. This is one versus two, and you know Texas is sitting on six Big Twelve losses already, and Texas Tech has five. So uh, not only is this one versus two, but there is some separation already. Uh, between the teams in the Big 12. Joe, the last time Oklahoma State won the Big 12 regular season title, what do you think? Hmm. 2007. It was 2014. Not terribly long Hmm. ago, but that's their only Big 12 title. Since this thing expanded Hmm. from 8 to 12 and whatever that was, like 95, 96, Oklahoma State has only won the Big 12 regular season title once. They only won three conference titles. They only have four four banners that, that say Big 12 on them. Uh, so as good as Oklahoma State has been under Josh Holiday, as consistent as this program has been, this is still something that Oklahoma State hasn't done a whole lot of. And uh, so I think winning this weekend, winning this year would be really significant for them, especially, you know, just – uh, or I guess just setting aside the fact that everyone came into the season with Texas as the preseason number one, that Texas was expected to to win the Big 12 and all the rest of that uh, for Oklahoma State to to win, period, would would just be a big deal. Yeah, it's um, it is a little jarring to look at the the Big 12 standings and see what we've what we've got where, you know, Texas is really in a position where it's got a lot of work to do and probably needs some help to get there this series i think in some ways can help because someone's going to lose this series so that i, I from, think if you're texas UC, or texas tech standpoint to win right because you already own the tiebreaker against against the Friends. right that knocks off a yeah knocks off a game you have to make up there and you know tcu's in, in an interesting place i mean they've played already played 15 um conference games so they're going to be kind of in the barn of 24 because you might hear 15, yes. like that's that's how many the SEC has played, but everyone's played 15 in the SEC. They only played 24 in the Big 12. Right. Yeah, TCU is going to be done. They play Santa Clara the last weekend of the season at home, so they're they're going to be maybe doing some scoreboard watching the last weekend of the season. And um, But once they get past – well, first of all, other other side note, like TCU just has a weird finishing schedule. They also have a road series with Florida State tucked in here. <laughs> so – um, that's next weekend. 
interesting little deal there. Um, but they've got Oklahoma and Kansas left in conference. Those are two winnable series to put it uh, at the absolute bare minimum. Um, so they're in a position where, I mean, they could maybe lose this series as long as they don't get swept and still feel like they feel pretty confident about what they have left. So I think it's going to be a fun finish in the conference. Now we, not necessarily the teams, although I think we thought both TCU and Oklahoma state would be in the mix, but certainly seeing, seeing Texas struggle the way they have recently up to, and including just quickly having a hard time with air force this week in midweek, um, has been has been jarring, but it has given us a Big 12 race that maybe we didn't anticipate being all that competitive, and all of a sudden it is. Uh, before we move on from this series, quickly, in the latest update to the Field of 64 projections, which happened weekly over at BaseballAmerica.com, you will not see TCU among the hosts. Uh, TCU right now has an RPI of 36. That is not going to get it done. Now, this weekend... Um, they have a big chance, Oklahoma State, uh, somewhat surprisingly, only 20. RPI just does not like the Big 12. It's a different story. Uh, but road series against a top 20 team, big opportunity uh, for TCU to make up some RPI ground. Uh, the same is true next weekend against Florida State. But they are going to need to make up this RPI. Um, even if they won the Big 12 with an RPI of 36, I don't think they would host uh and they wouldn't win the big 12 with an rpi of 36 but they are going to need they have work to do there is opportunity for them to do the necessary work again the next two weekends are huge but uh from a hosting standpoint uh this means an awful lot for tcu oklahoma state is in a little bit better position but when you start talking about ordering top eight seeds uh 20 is not where you want to be. So again, they uh, they also need to close well, and they also have opportunities to close well and improve their RPI. But uh, for both teams, this uh, this means something for the Big 12 title race. It also means something significant for their postseason resumes. All righty, Joe, we'll uh, move on to um, uh, talk about the ACC, several intriguing series there, and we'll dive into that here in a second. But first, check this out. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. 
Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Joe, let's, uh, let's talk ACC here. There are, as I mentioned, a few intriguing series. Uh, we're going to do our best to cover a few of them because we've talked a lot about these teams already. want to kind of spread the love to some of the teams we didn't and the way the series work. They, uh, they, they kind of all have a, a team where we've talked a lot about and a team where we haven't talked about them for quite as much. Uh, so this weekend, if you're watching ACC baseball, uh, Virginia is hosting North Carolina, UVA back home looking to get right. UNC also looking to get right in a tough spot in Charlottesville. Um, so that's something to watch. You have Pitt going to Miami. Miami, of course, coming off of that series loss to Virginia Tech. Uh, Pitt surging, but now back on the road and going to Coral Gables, no easy task. You have North Carolina State and Louisville. Uh, we have not talked much about NC State lately. They quietly have uh, kind of risen back to uh, near the, I mean, the Atlantic Division is a mess, but they're right there with every other team at the top of the Atlantic Division. Uh, Louisville also, um, you know, been up and down lately. And so we'll see what that series has to offer. And then Joe, this is, for me, is kind of a highlighting series uh, for, for a couple of reasons that we can get into, but Wake Forest is headed to Notre Dame uh, both teams coming off of confounding series losses a week ago. Duke was uh, Duke swept Notre Dame in Durham, and Wake Forest lost a series at home to Clemson. Uh, Clemson and Duke had a total of five ACC wins coming into last weekend, and they knock off uh, Wake and Notre Dame. So let's start there in South Bend, Joe. Wake Forest, Notre Dame. Uh, What's on the line here is that neither of these teams wants to let last weekend spill over. Like they want to put that behind them as fast as possible, but one of them is not going to be able to do that. One of them is going to walk out of this weekend with back-to-back ACC series losses. And because of the way that the ACC standings and records are working right now, uh, they're going to be very close to 500, the, the team that loses. And both of them are in the hosting mix right now. Notre Dame has a top 10 RPI. Uh, Wake Forest is number 16 in RPI. So they're right there, but they're going to have to win ACC games to, to get that hosting spot. The one that loses is, uh, is you know, we're not going to have them projected as a host next week, I wouldn't think. Uh, we probably will have the winner projected as a host. And nobody cares if you're projected as a host at the end of April. But, you know, it, it, it just... This is kind of a big deal in terms of, of that hosting race, in terms of accumulating ACC wins, and in terms of par- probably most importantly, stopping whatever slide this is uh, before, st- stopping this skid before it turns into a slide, I should say. And this conference is a little bit of uh, the opposite of the Big 12 in that way, where you'd think Oklahoma State would be in just excellent position, NTCU to some degree, like excellent position to host. And like the RPI tells you a little different story. And these teams like the RPIs are just kind of holding steady and they're just waiting on those teams to win some games. Um, so that's kind of a little, a little bit of the opposite issue there where they just need to start winning some games here. Notre Dame, you know, I mentioned this offline to you, but you know, what are you, what are you, what are you going to do when you get caught up in Duke's annual run to the postseason after it looks like they're dead in the water in, in early April? I mean, that's just a, that's just a tough one. You're going to get caught up in that. I don't know what you can do, but that seems to be what Duke does 
year after year. And, and perhaps that's what that's what that was the start of. Who knows? But if this series was in Winston-Salem, I would feel um, a lot more confident from Wake's standpoint, because I think there would have been an opportunity for Wake to really put some runs up on the board and maybe kind of exacerbate some problems that we saw from Notre Dame last weekend, where I came out of the weekend kind of saying, this is kind of the same insecurity that, that Notre Dame had last year and no one was able to take advantage of it. And maybe uh, this year they, they just are where it's the, the pitching staff feels shorter than you would otherwise think it would be. And then when that works as it did last year, like, okay, but it's just like in basketball, if you're going to play a rotation of six players, um, those guys better be playing well, because that's, you know, that that's the, uh, that, that's kind of the, the, the risk you're taking there. Similar deal on the mound. If you've got a short group of guys that you're really leaning on heavily, you know, those guys all have to be pitching well. And last year they were, and um, perhaps this year, maybe not quite so much. Um, even as they tried, by the way, like that was not the goal, right? They've kind of ended up here because you had some guys who at, at various times who've pitched pretty well that have pitched less so lately. So things have kind of naturally, naturally shrunk a little bit with it being in South Bend. Um, that's obviously a challenge for Wake Forest offensively. Not that those hitters aren't good. They are, but we all know the, the deal there with, with the park in Winston-Salem. It's a little more offensive park. It's, well, it's a lot more offensive park. It's the type of place where if you've got issues on the mound, things can snowball on you a little bit. And Wake Forest offense is very good at taking advantage of that. With it being at South Bend, I think it's a, a little bit of a game changer and tilts the, tilts the scale and puts the finger on the scale uh, for the Fighting Irish. Um. Intriguingly, Wake Forest has been pretty good away from home this year. They're seven and three. Um, Notre Dame, very difficult to beat in South Bend. They're nine and one at home. They've won some big road series, like they went out and swept Florida State in Tallahassee, you might recall. But they, uh, in true road series, or two true road games, are just eight and six. So to your point about it being at Frank Eck versus uh, David Couch, um, it definitely tilts the the odds towards the fighting Irish. You know, as good as Wake Forest is supposed to be offensively, their pitching staff has been pretty darn good as well. They're a top 40 team in terms of ERA in the country. Um, Notre Dame definitely better. They're number 10. But uh, this could end up being uh, a really well-pitched series. Not a stunning surprise. Wake Forest has a lot of talent on the mound. Rhett Louder. Uh, leading that rotation very well this year and he'll match up against John Michael Bertrand in the opener and that that could be a really fun game I feel like Notre Dame I mean you have to give the edge to Notre Dame they're at home here um, and they're a little more experienced than uh, than Wake Forest going down the stretch and, and winning these kinds of series and playing in in it's not must win but you know really important series to go out and uh you know, set up your postseason the way you want it to be set up. Wake Forest did not have an opportunity to learn how to do that the last two years. Obviously, in 2020, nobody did. And in 2021, Wake Forest was, uh, you know, having an abysmal season. So the, the Fighting Irish are, are just, I think, a little better equipped to, to handle with playing uh, this kind of series down the stretch. Now, we'll see. I mean, Wake Forest, uh, you know, is going to have to learn on the fly. And I'm not here to suggest they're just going to lose everything from here on out because they don't, uh, they don't have that experience. But I, I think in this particular weekend, uh, got to look to, uh, to Notre Dame there. 
Uh, Joe, the the Wolfpack and Louisville, that one is intriguing to me. Um, we've talked a lot about Louisville's up and down uh, this weekend facing an NC State team that's been a little more up lately. Um, Going to be a tough test for them. On the flip side, uh, NC State is dealing with a, uh, a better team we think in Louisville than they've seen kind of in, in the last couple of weeks, they've been able to bolster that record. Uh, but I, I, I'm very interested to see how the Wolfpack do, um, you know, this weekend in a tough road spot at Louisville. Same. And, uh, you know, I think as long as this trend kind of continues for NC state, and as long as they end up being a, an NCAA tournament team, you know, we, we, we kind of joke about how NC state always kind of finds itself back in a similar spot. Now, typically that joke involves them kind of being ranked between 17 and 24 every year. And that's kind of the joke about it. And part of implicit in that is that NC state has struggled pre 2021, let's say has struggled to really elevate itself. Right. Um, there have been years when they've hosted and lost home regionals or were ranked higher coming into the season. And they still end up back in that like 17 to 24 range and then being a two seed in a regional. And and that's where it ends. So that's kind of implicit in that. Now, 2021 changed that a little bit. They showed the the fight to get back to Omaha. and, And that was really obviously a crowning achievement for that program. But I think the side of that, that maybe gets a little bit, uh, cause you know, we, we just kind of want to like marvel at how NC state just kind of ends up being that the flip side of that though, is that the consistency they have to always find their way in position to be a tournament team should not be overlooked, especially in a league like the ACC where you just have years, unless you're, you know, a small handful of programs, like you just have years where you're going to miss the tournament. You're going to have injuries. You're going to have guys that just, just don't play well. Um, I mean, Carolina has missed several years of regionals in, in recent years and in state just doesn't. And I think this year is another good example where you look at what the way they've done this and it is not the way in which you would have expected it, right? They're not fielding the ball. Well, that, that has continued to be an issue. I mean, they're fielding nine sixty as a team, which is not just not, that's not just an NC state. Like that is just not particularly good, not good at all. And so they're fighting that. You know, their best offensive player has lately been Noah Souls, which is not who I would have predicted that would be, right? Devontae Brown, who definitely were, were nobody, kind of nobody thought that was coming. Yeah, I mean, Noah Souls so didn't he's think come that on. was coming. Right. I mean, that, that's a guy who you didn't even know if they were going to be at bats for him, you know, coming into the season. But, you know, Devontae Brown is sitting 252, and, and he's been a nice player, don't be wrong. Like he's, you know, he's sitting for power. I'm not suggesting that, you know, it hasn't been gone well for him, but he, you know, he's a similar hitter to what he was last year. And the freshmen they were leaning on like Peyton green and Jacob Cozart have been up and down as you would expect for freshmen. Um, you know, they, they've had to turn to a guy like Will Marcy to get big at bats. Tommy white after his scalding hot start has been solid, but obviously not that that he was the first few weeks. Sam Heifel has been injured. He's only started six games. His ERA was five and a half. Anyway, Matt Willardson's ERA is five and a half. Um, you know, so things I say all that to say things have not gone even, you know, we knew this team was going to have to do some retooling on the fly. 
And even in light of that, things have not gone as expected. And yet this team is in a position to kind of be what they always are. And like, while again, we might kind of joke about that, about how it's NC State sometimes struggles to to rise above being that. I think they also deserve a lot of credit for years like this when they just fight their way to being that. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, NC State RPI up to number 30, going down the road to play Louisville, big opportunity here um, to push it up even further. And part of that that choke that that like, oh, look, NC State back in the same position, which, again, isn't really a joke as much as that's like kind of marveling at what they're able to do year in and year out at the consistency of it all. Uh, they're pretty consistently kind of on the hosting bubble and don't look now, but that could happen again. So, you know, they they have this this big weekend at Louisville uh, next weekend. They're on their ACC buy and they play Radford and that's not going to do anything positive for anybody. Uh, Radford RPI 261 right now, but then they have North Carolina at home at Duke home to wake forest to close it out. This feels like the hardest thing left on their schedule. Now home to wake might be harder than at Louisville when it's all said and done. And, you know, UNC is a really good team as well. And we just saw what Duke did at home against uh, Notre Dame. So none of these series can be taken lightly. But on the other hand, this might be the hardest thing they have left. They could be in for a really good closing kick, and uh, they have to start it this weekend. It's got to start somewhere, but this weekend could be the start of something pretty big, I feel like, for NC State. And maybe it started a week ago, but in sweeping Boston College is not. Um, you know, they, The way they did it, was uh was something to there's something to be said for it because they played a doubleheader on friday they were down late in both of those games and they come back and, and win them both and that's what you need to be doing against bc this year's bc which is in last place in the acc but uh there is something to be said for the way nc state went about doing that and, and maybe maybe we'll look back at um you know last friday is the turning point for the wolf pack but again this weekend big deal for for the pack uh, quickly, Joe, Pitt goes to Miami. Pitt has played really well at home in ACC play. Now we know Pitt knows how to play on the road. They have to do it uh, so much early in the season that they're well-versed in it. But going down to Coral Gables, kind of a different deal. Miami coming off of that series loss at Virginia Tech. Any concerns about Miami going into a tricky series against the Panthers? I would say no. I mean, well... No, with caveats, of course, because everything I ever say, I guess <laughs> I cover in caveats. But, um, you know, being at home, I think, is such a big deal for this Miami team. I do think, you know, we talked about, oh, you know, last weekend was kind of a classic trip up spot for Miami, right? It's a long way from home. You know, everybody's gassing them up and, and they, they just fall a little bit short. I think being back home is big. And I, I do think this team is better than those kind of the the type of Miami teams that we we've seen in recent years that, you know, do have these moments where they look outstanding and then they, they fall back to the pack and it turns out it was a little bit of fool fool's gold. I do think this group is better than that. However, you know, I think Pitt's going to have a little something for him. You know, Pitt is, is doing kind of the opposite of what they did last year where Pitt jumped out and was ranked and was at this time of year looking like a host team. And then the bottom kind of fell out of it. And, you know, there's still time for that. Um, but I, I do like 
aspects of this team. Like they've done a good job in the transfer portal. LaSalle transfer Tatum Levins is their best bat. Uh, Jeff Whaler transfer from, I believe Youngstown state. I don't have it here in front of me. They do have a Youngstown um, he's having state a nice... transfer. I think that's him. Yeah. I think it's yeah. Jeff Whaler. Uh, you kind of a utility guy who does a lot of things offensively. Like he's got good plate discipline. He steals some bases. He's got a little doubles pop. Like I kind of, not, not that I've seen a lot of him, but when I was doing transfer portal stuff, I was like, okay, guy's kind of interesting. Um, so there's, there's that it's a good offensive position group, I think overall. And last year, on the mound, I think you and I talked time and time again because you know we talked a decent amount of pit last year because we were kind of marveling at what they were doing early on. Speaking of fool's gold, it felt like there was a little bit of that going on on the mound where it was just pretty solid and they were just doing enough. And then when kind of the bottom fell out of it, that's when um, they really struggled. I think this year is a little bit different in that you know with Matt Gilbertson and Billy Corcoran, those are two legit guys in the weekend. They both have good numbers. They've both been pitching well. You know, the the middle game between those two is a little more of a question, but with those two guys, which I think lately, or at least last weekend against Virginia, they used in games one and three. um, Those two guys give them a chance every single week against anybody they're going to play in the ACC. And so, you know, the depth here isn't as good on the mound. I feel confident in saying that, but on the top end, they do have some guys that can shut you down. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's been the formula for Pitt. Um, Miami, we talked about it on Monday. They need to get their uh, rotation kind of back in the right place. And that means getting Carson Lincoln back going on, on Saturdays. We'll see if they can do it this weekend. But I mean, if, if Miami is who we think they are, you know, the best team in the ACC, a legitimate national title contender, they need to go out and, and get right this weekend against Pitt. Um, nothing against Pitt, but that's just what those kinds of teams do. After you take a tough road series loss, you come home and you win your home series. Uh, so we'll, we'll see if Miami is able to do that this weekend. If Pitt wins, um, you know, I, I feel I would feel very good about Pitt breaking its regional drought if they win this weekend. They can do it without uh, winning this weekend. They close with North Carolina A&T. Again, they're out of um, ACC play next weekend. Then it's Duke at Notre Dame, home to Georgia Tech. Not the easiest May uh, for the Panthers, but considering that they should be sitting right around 500 as they go into May, uh, certainly a manageable run in, I would I would think for Pitt, especially with two home series in it. So uh, we shall see how how that plays out. But a big opportunity for uh, for them on the road this weekend at Miami. Uh, all right, Joe. Let's uh, let's move on to uh, the the series that you know it's got a case for being the series of the weekend, if not for TCU and Oklahoma State. I'm talking about the SoCon one-two battle as Wofford, number twenty-four Wofford, travels to Mercer. Both teams are undefeated in SoCon play so far. They're six and zero. Both teams have single-digit losses on the season. They're both in the top. 30 in RPI, uh, tracking towards regional bids. Uh, this weekend, though, a really, really big one uh, in terms of the the uh, SoCon title race and just in terms of really good baseball. I mean, both of these teams have have played very well all season long, been, been very consistent, and this has been a collision course they've been on for a while, and SoCon play – Obviously, they've only played two weekends so far. We're not deep into it, but we're we're getting the potential title decider 
already. I don't want to write off Samford. They're the defending champs. They're four and two, but uh, these teams have produced some separation early in the season and they do look to be the best two teams. Uh, so we'll, I would expect this weekend's winner to go on to win the uh, win the title, but it'll be far from over uh, because it is still just April. Anyway, Joe, thoughts? Wofford, Mercer. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a see, seeing this series get on the main stage as opposed to being the uh, under the radar thing. It's like watching my babies grow up and walk <laughs> across the stage in graduation. You know, it's like uh, when Ryan proud, McGee talks about how a team that he'd been ranking in the bottom ten of ESPN's college football rankings, you know, goes to a bowl game. How how happy that makes him. Yeah, that that's a good that's a good analogy. Yeah, I, I um, it, it's a, it's a proud dad moment for to see Wofford and Mercer on the stage and. If this series was in Spartanburg instead of Macon, like I might have had to find my way down there, um, not not too far from from me. So, but it is not. Um, but still, it should be uh, just a fabulous series. I mean, these two teams, in addition to being the best in the SoCon, both playing really well. Wofford has won 16 of its last 17, which is incredible. Mercer on Tuesday had a 12-game winning streak snapped by Georgia Tech. Certainly losing to Georgia Tech on the road, no shame in that. So, uh, both teams have been playing incredibly incredibly well i think although you know i'm sure we will talk about this as as this discussion goes on uh these two teams can pitch a little bit but i do suspect this will be an offensive series mercer plays in an offensive park these two teams are both offensive teams albeit coming at it a little differently wofford has just one of the most interesting offenses in college baseball like this is something i i should write about uh, maybe next week who knows we'll see um but they just, they're dynamic, they're fun, they score runs in different ways, they've, they've got some power, shout out, you know, John Dempsey, seven home runs, you know, but their big thing is they're going to run on you. They have 112 stolen bases, uh, they have now stolen more than 100 bases in nine straight full seasons, of course that asterisk there is because of the 2020 season, at which point they already had 40 when the season was canceled, 40 something, so they were going to get there again. It would have been 10, um, but yeah, nine straight full seasons of a hundred plus stolen bases. They're pretty efficient stealing bases. So they're not just, you know, running, uh, you know, they're, they're not just like uh, being shoddy about it. Like it's, it's pretty efficient as well, considering the volume there. So they're going to run all over Mercer. They're going to try to run all over Mercer, uh, but they can hit the ball out of the ballpark a little bit. Um, so that's really fun. Mercer does it a little bit differently. They are in part because of the park they play in. they are more of kind of a traditional power hitting team. Colby Thomas has 16 home runs. Bill Knight has eight home runs. Colin Price has 10 home runs. So I suspect we're going to see some runs scored here this weekend, even though, you know, I, th- I think these teams can pitch a little bit. And in particular, I think Mercer's pitching is a little bit better than it has been in past years. That could be a differentiator here, but uh, certainly I think there's going to be some runs on the board. Yeah, absolutely. I, the the Wofford offense is just a very aggressive one. They're going to push at all times. That's that's their deal. That's what Todd Interdonato uh, wants his offense to do, and, and they're doing a good job of it again this year. Um, Mercer always seems to have some big bats. You know, obviously Kyle Lewis, chief among them uh, in Craig Gibson's career, but he uh, – they, they really just always seem to have some time, some kind of big time power hitter there. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think this could be pretty offensive. That said, I mean, I think Wofford can, uh, can pitch pretty well too. And uh, Mercer certainly has some guys on the mound. I just think this could be just a, a great series. 
Um, it uh, anytime you've got two teams at this stage of the season that only have single digit losses going at it, I mean that that feels like <laughs> like a big deal. And Mercer kind of on the edge of the rankings. Wofford is ranked. Um, I'll go out on a limb here, Joe, and say whoever wins the series is going to be in the rankings next week. So, uh, again, nobody's playing for that, but uh, like that's that's the kind of stakes we're talking about here. I don't know, Joe, about hosting for either one of these teams. They're Mercer's 24, Wofford is 27. This is the last time either one of them is going to play a team with an RPI, anything approaching this. The rest of the SOCON obviously is not like we're not talking about a conference that has a ton of top 50 teams. This is it. Uh, So you're going to have to see your RPI jump pretty significantly this weekend and then hold it there. Uh, So I think I think the winner of the SOCON here is just destined to be a two and they both might be twos. Uh, But the the winner of this weekend might might walk out feeling like maybe we've got a shot to to host a regional. Yeah, it's definitely going to be close. They are they they both, by the way, could be twos that you just absolutely do not want to see. I mean, not just because they're good, but in Wofford's case, that's just a type of offense that you just do not want to deal with. Like that's not fun to prepare for, you know, it's, it's, that's a specific, a lot of times you just don't see an offense that works that way. You might go all season and not see an offense that works that way. So that's tough. Uh, You know, they, they also both play difficult non-conference schedules, at least in the midweek, you know, Mercer famously will play Georgia tech and, 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 you know, um, the other good teams in Georgia. And so they're not really necessarily going to be intimidated by that kind of thing. So though, those are just, going to be tough two seat assignments. There's also the facilities question. You've got Russell C. King Field in Spartanburg. Uh, you've got Ortho Georgia Park in yeah, Macon. Mercer's Park is new. I don't know. I haven't talked to Craig Gibson about it, but I have to imagine they build it. It's, considering how recently they build it, it's got to be hostable, I would think. And then from a uh, from a Wofford perspective, I don't know, but there are minor league facilities close by um and mercer also i don't have them you know making bacon schedule in front of me but like that's an old minor league park that presumably like if they if they could get it that weekend they would if they needed it but again i i don't think mercer would have that issue yeah renovated in 2017 for mercer the question with them would be is there a place to put temporary seating because the capacity is listed as only 1500 at Mercer, and I know they like. I mean, how that big is Jackie closer Reynolds to three thousand? Well, yeah, I just know that, like, in a technical sense, they like that number to be a little closer to three thousand. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but you can, like, what I'm saying is, like, there's are there are ways around that. Like, you can bring in some bleachers and throw them on a berm, and like, ta-da! You know, we're we're, we're at three thousand now. Um, so there, that typically, I, I would guess that is not going to be what what keeps them from doing so. But your point is also correct that. Both of these teams are in places where if push comes to shove, I'm sure they can find a facility to to get it done. So, so yeah, that is certainly on the table. I mentioned the, the pitching, so I'll, I'll shout some, some things out here. Uh, Wofford really has the ability to shorten some games here with, with their bullpen. Luke Stevens, Holden Wilder, Dalton Radens, all having really good years out of the bullpen. Those three guys, all ERAs 279 or lower. Um, so they can shorten the game on you. It seems like every week when I click into Wofford box scores, Dalton Radens is having a 
a three inning save. And that's just kind of seems to be the, the deal there. Um, their ace is, is Matthew Marshall, who's also been very good. 63 to five strikeout to walk ratio. I am told that's pretty good on Mercer's side. The, uh, Jackson Kelly, frankly, like just incredible numbers for him. He's given up one earned run this season in 35 and two thirds innings, 58 strikeouts, nine walks, holding opponents to a 129 average. That's 15 hits and 35 and two thirds innings. Only one of which has been a home run. Um, that's what you're looking for in a bullpen guy, a guy who's not going to give up home runs, a guy who can miss bats, a really, really good season for Jackson Kelly in relief. So, um, there have been Mercer teams that have been able to really swing it and have just had trouble stringing together outs. This team, I think is a little more equipped to do that. And I think that's part of what would make them dangerous come postseason time, whether it's hosting or a two seed or, or whatever it is, they've, they've got some arms this time around. If you're a fan of Georgia, Georgia tech. Georgia Southern, um, Florida State, these are who you're looking at as your potential two seeds, probably. Uh, so yeah, maybe maybe keep an extra eye if you're uh, if you're if you're one of the a fan of someone in that region. There are a lot of teams in that in that region that uh, may may well host, and these are these are your potential two seeds, probably. So uh, an intriguing series for everyone, though, uh, and. I certainly am excited for, uh, for what the SoCon has to offer this year. All right, Joe, let's uh, go up to the Big Ten. Uh, an interesting series in Champaign as Maryland is headed to Illinois. These are two of the top three teams in the Big Ten standings in the early going. Rutgers is the other. Uh, Maryland, no surprise. They've been good all season long, starting with that opening weekend uh, sweep at Baylor. And just continuing right on, uh, there's really been no let up in Maryland. We've talked about how good Maryland is this year uh, a couple times, I feel like. Illinois, though, has been a bit more of a surprise once Big Ten play started. They are off to a 10-2 and start in Big Ten play. Uh, they were not that good in the non-conference. Uh, they flipped it around, though, and they now look like they're a team that contend for regionals, can contend at the top of the Big Ten. Uh, but this weekend is kind of the prove it like, okay, this has all been very good. Now you have Maryland coming into your place, prove it and, you know, show us that this is all for real Illinois. And I, that, that's not to say that they would be discredited if they lose this series, but uh, their team right now that needs the RPI help that beating Maryland would provide. Uh, and if you're going to try and stay in the big 10 title race, uh, you cannot let Maryland get, you know, jump ahead of you this weekend and lose that tiebreaker. Just the way the Big Ten standings work, typically, they're so tight. Uh, if you have this opportunity, particularly coming at home, uh, you got to take advantage of it if you're the Illini. Yeah, I mean, just to, to kind of build on that point, because I think it's this is the for Illinois, like I think this is this is important. I mean, first of all, the weekend before Big Ten play started, they lost a series to Southern Illinois. And they were seven and 10. And now they are still only 19 and 15 overall, but they are 10 and two in conference and they do not play Rutgers. Um, so if they win this series, which is at home, they've got Indiana on the road, Indiana, just not as good this year. They've got Nebraska at home. That's tricky, but we've seen that Nebraska has also not been um, as good as, as That's Nebraska, which just lost a four game home series to BYU. 
Yeah, not great there. Uh, by the way, in that series, coachless BYU. Friday, Friday on ESPNU, Sunday on ESPN two. Those games in Champaign between Illinois and Nebraska in a few weeks, and they finish with Penn State. So I say that to say, if Illinois wins this series, and Rutgers still has to play Maryland, and Maryland has a it, tough schedule as well, they have Michigan in addition to Rutgers. Right. So like they'd still have to do it. I mean. It, it is not inconceivable that they lose lose a series to Indiana or Nebraska. But I say that to say if Illinois wins this series, like the path for them to win the Big Ten title is, I don't want to say wide open, but it is certainly opening. So that's really kind of what's at 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 stake here in the in the big picture. In the in the smaller picture, all the stuff you mentioned, they're they're working their way into at large position. They've still got some RPI work to do this this weekend would help. A couple things, you know, and I wrote about this a little in three strikes, so it's all pretty fresh. A couple of things have changed for Illinois, which has allowed them to kind of make this move. One is Riley Gowans in the rotation has become a really nice one-two punch with Cole Kershipper. Kershipper has been good from the jump this year, uh, but Gowans in his four Big Ten starts has a 245 ERA and is holding opponents to a 187 average. Um, that's compared to his full season numbers, you know, when his ERA is closer to almost four. So you can see that he's made a, a pretty big jump there in conference games. The other is that the offense has become deeper, has become a little bit better in conference games. Um, they're hitting as I scroll here to make sure my numbers are correct. Yeah, they're hitting 292 as a team in conference play. Cam McDonald has had a big breakout year. Brandon Comia has been kind of the offensive leader that they were looking for him to be. And I thought this team had a chance to be pretty good offensively coming into the season. But if you'd have told me at this point of the year that, you know, they'd be Ryan Hampy would struggle to the degree that, you know, he's had where he's hitting 234. I mean, that's a guy who's really physical at the plate, a really good offensive player, has struggled, has only played in 22 games. And then Justin Janis, a guy who won the Big Ten batting title last year, won the Northwoods League batting title over the summer, is hitting, quote unquote, only 275. Now he is getting on base at a 440 clip, but if you told me he's only going to hit 275, I'd have thought, uh, you know, this offense might be actually be in a little bit of trouble. But Comia being as good as he's been, capping off his Illini career, or I presume will cap off his Illini career with um, the season that he's had, and then Cam McDonald with the breakout season that he's had, has really kind of helped jumpstart the offense. And in Big Ten play, they've been they've been pretty good. So. That's kind of what's happened to take them from where they were to where they are now, which, like we mentioned, is in position to win a Big Ten title, which is something a month ago would have sounded nuts. Yeah, that combination of Kershepper and Gowans uh, gives them a really legitimate one-two punch. And this weekend, they're going to face the best rotation in the Big Ten in Maryland uh, with Dean Ramsey and Savakul. Um I, It could be a really well-pitched series. I, I, I think that that's exciting. Um Maryland kind of wants to stay on that schedule with the rotation. They want to make sure they get length out of those guys. Uh, Illinois has a bit of a question on Sunday. So like maybe this comes down to what the bullpens do, but uh, th this ends up being, uh, you know, some of the best starting pitching in the big 10. And uh, that, that makes for a really interesting weekend here in Champaign. Uh, Illinois has not played many home games. They only have nine so far this season, but they've only lost once. Um, you know, so we'll see if uh, if that can hold up here uh, this weekend against Maryland. 
And I am going to choose not to rant about how the Big Ten does scheduling and how the Big Ten champion, of course, is going to be determined by who you don't play and not who you do play. Uh, but that pathway that you described for Illinois is very inviting. And uh, that's certainly not something to be overlooked. Frankly, whether they win or lose this series, uh, but winning the series would really set them up well for that and uh, for everything else. This is a team that hasn't uh, been back to regionals in a while, but you know, right now, like I said, they can absolutely be thinking about it. They have work left to do, but the way that they've played in uh, in, in conference has been uh, has been to a level where they've they've put themselves in a position where they're going to play very meaningful games uh, in late April and into May. Yeah, Illinois is kind of an interesting program where sometimes they don't they make regionals in what you might consider to be off years a little bit. Like last year was the draft year for this recruiting class that included Comia and Jacob Campbell and Aiden Maldonado, who's now at Minnesota. They were all pretty highly ranked guys and there've been some ups and downs and they don't make a regional last year. And it's like, okay, well it's, it was the big 10 in a weird big 10 year. So whatever they do make a regional in 19. And that had some guys, Michael Massey, for example, was, was in his draft year. So, but they didn't make a regional the year Bryn Spillane one big 10 player of the year. So sometimes they do have these years where they're just on the off year. It seems like they actually get where they're trying to go. So that's kind of an interesting, I don't know what to make of that, but it just kind of is with the Illinois program. One variable here that could make a little more offensive. It is going to be windy in Champaign. And I don't know, like the, the locals, and this is true everywhere, by the way, the locals will be able to tell you, Oh, this time of year, the wind typically goes this way, or when it's cooler, the wind goes this way. Whereas when it's warmer, the wind goes that way. But looking at the forecast here, it looks like all three days, the weather, the wind, I should say, is going to be 20 miles an hour or stronger. It's also going to be cloudy and a little bit rainy, but warm, um, you know, high like Saturday, 82. So um, I don't know, that could benefit, that could just make these games a rock fight, first of all. But, you know, as, as much as we talked about the Illinois offense, Maryland also good offensively came out of last weekend. Uh, and we'll go into this weekend, leading the Big Ten in hitting and in home runs. They have 60 home runs as a team, so that could benefit them as well. That's no surprise. I mean, Maryland is just the, the most well-rounded best team in the Big Ten, right? So, um, But that could be good news for Illinois because if you can kind of drag Maryland into like a little bit of a rock fight and get their starting pitchers out of the game early and kind of throw them off schedule like you alluded to, like to me that does seem like a path to winning this series to just kind of ugly it up a little bit. Yeah, and I mean, Maryland might be able to live with that. We just haven't seen anyone force that for the most. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think there's been a weekend where that has been forced upon Maryland. So whoever does it, yeah, it might be in a position to, to do something. Uh, it just, and maybe it happened um, back when they played in the LeClaire Classic when they lost their, their one losing weekend this year, or I guess at BBU too, but I, nobody's done it lately. And uh, so we'll... Uh, We'll, we'll see if Illinois can do that this weekend. The, like you said, the, the win there is a real thing and um, the ball does have a tendency to jump at times there, but we'll, uh, we'll just have to wait uh, and see how that affects or does not affect this uh, again, pretty wonderful pitching matchup. Um, yeah. So I, this is the biggest big 10 series to this point uh, in the season. Rutgers and Maryland still have to play each other. Maryland and Michigan, if Michigan can, can get it together a little more, still have to play. But uh, I would not have expected Maryland at Illinois 
to be one of the, the premier Big Ten series of the year. Uh, but here we are, and kudos to, uh, to Illinois for, uh, for flipping their season around once they got into conference play. All right, Joe, that is, uh, those are the headliners. Uh, what do you got for us under the radar this weekend? Okay, uh, we're going to call a spade a spade here. Not a great week for the under-the-radar stuff, necessarily. Part of that, of course, is Wofford and Mercer getting called up to the big leagues, which, of course, I, I was proud of, so I'm happy to do that. So what I've kind of done is done a grab bag of series that aren't necessarily marquee series, but are pretty good series that can kind of draw attention to larger themes. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to read through them. I will then, uh, back by popular demand, I will spin the wheel. I will figure out which one I'm going to talk about. That'll give Teddy an opportunity to kind of either jump off that or pick something else from the grab bag. So we might we might touch on a few different things here because I don't know that we necessarily have anything that is a super duper compelling here. So um, let me pull my notes to where I can see the my level here because I would hate to forget one. Um, this is not something we we necessarily maybe want to um, talk too much about, but we, we've talked about the plight of the Big West. I think. One series that kind of um, maybe draws attention to that, though, is that, you know, this weekend is Long Beach at Santa Barbara and the bottom has kind of fallen out of that one. Um, Long Beach just has not been easy since they won that series against Mississippi State, although it hasn't been easy for Mississippi State either. So um, Southern Illinois is at Dallas Baptist. That is probably the most like legitimately good series of this group. Like that's, you know, although they are second and third in the conference. Dallas Baptist lost a series to Bradley last weekend. Indiana State is top at uh, five and one right now. Fairly Dickinson at Wagner. Uh, this one is a just a kind of a jumping off point for the fact that Bryant is tied for fifth with Merrimack in the NEC. That is a precipitous fall for Bryant in the big picture because that is a team that usually dominates that league. And also because you may remember that they swept East Carolina to begin the season. So whether you look at it in the big picture or just within the context of the season, the fact that they are fifth is, is kind of shocking, frankly. Um, Houston Baptist is visiting Northwestern State. Like, don't look now. HBU is 7-5 and five in the Southland. They get off to a really rough start. I don't know how good they are or aren't. Um, Everyone is 7-5 and five in the Southland. Correct. And that is the uh, jumping off point for that discussion is like, what on earth is going on in the Southland? Uh, North Dakota State is visiting Oral Roberts. That is uh, the top two teams in the Summit League this year. North Dakota State is added again in terms of, of looking like a really good team. They also, speaking of scheduling things that kind of have played into a team having a path, they had the fortune, North Dakota State that is, of playing Western Illinois twice on the Summit League schedule. So that is helpful uh, as they look to win a, a title. A weird little scheduling thing in San Diego Grand Canyon, Stanford, and San Diego State are playing a little round robin there this weekend is at in Stanford's off week from Pac-12 play. I think the matchups with Grand Canyon and Stanford are particularly interesting. Grand Canyon is really good. I certainly, when I previewed the WAC, underestimated Grand Canyon again. This is kind of like the second time I've done that um, in the last few years I've been previewing the WAC. They're really good again. If they beat, and I haven't looked at the numbers. Teddy's more familiar with the numbers than I am. I don't think the WAC is good enough for them to get to where they could host because they're going to lose some games and the WAC isn't particularly good. But like GCU is a really strong two. 
maybe they could host if they really run something off. I don't know. The facility I know is good enough. So from a logistics standpoint, they're fine. But that's interesting to me. They're going to play two games against Stanford, also two against San Diego State, obviously, in San Diego. So that is the menu. Let me, uh, again, back by popular demand, let me spin this wheel here. Let's see what I end up with here. So here we go. Oh, I thought it was going to move there one more, and then it, it kind of got caught in between and bounced back. So I didn't expect it to land on this, but we're going to talk about the Southland Conference. So Teddy said every team is 7-5, and five, and he's not uh, in the spirit of it. He is not wrong. Um, there are three teams at the top at 7-5, and five, um, two of which will surprise you, one of which is not surprising, although within the context of this season, it might. So it's Nichols, Southeastern Louisiana, and Houston Baptist. Obviously, Southeastern being in that position is not a huge surprise given their history. However, they've not been particularly good this year, and it seems like maybe they figured some things out as time has gone on. Very random. They have some great midweek wins. Everything else is very random. Yeah, like it's just confounding. Behind them, you've got three teams at six and six. That is New Orleans, uh, who I picked as the preseason winner of the Southland. You've got McNeese, you've got Northwestern State, and then you've got Incarnate Word at five and seven and AM Corpus Christi at four and eight. And I wrote in three strikes about how there's something to like about every single one of these teams, right? So like Nichols and HBU, I'm going to be honest with you, like not a hundred percent sure what to grab onto there, but at this point we're halfway through conference play in that league. You have to kind of assume it's not a fluke. Now, do they win the league? I don't know, but not a fluke. Teddy mentioned Southeastern's midweek wins. That team can clearly play at a high level when they're playing well. New Orleans has series wins against Kansas and Oklahoma this year. Um, McNeese obviously has the pedigree. They've graduated a lot of talent the last few years off those teams that have made regionals, but there's still the pedigree there. That's still a coaching staff that does a really good job. Northwestern State has the best rotation probably in the conference. So those are just the top six teams that are all 500 or better in the league any of them I could see winning it. And frankly, you know, who's to say Incarnate Word and the Islanders can't get back in this mix here. So I think though that chaos is just a really good kind of uh, metaphor for where this league is at, right? So they had a lot of defections. A few teams go off to the WAC. Central Arkansas goes off to the A-Sun. Incarnate Word is following those teams to the WAC. Lamar is coming back from the WAC now. Lamar has decided they do not want to be in the WAC anymore. They are coming back to the Southland. Texas A&M Commerce is coming up from Division II to join this league. And that's just kind of the, 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 the logistics part of it. I also, this had kind of slipped under my radar and started, until I started looking at stuff in the Southland. I guess they've, they've got a new conference commissioner. They've hired a consulting firm, a marketing firm, branding firm, whatever you want to call it, to kind of help them rebrand the league up to and including, I guess this league is going to have a new name in a couple of years and what they called a new inspirational logo. And I don't know what an inspirational logo could possibly be. I've never looked at a logo in my life and been like, Oh my God, I, I feel like I could run through a wall, you know? Um, I mean, have you seen the a sun logo? I don't know. I mean, it's not bad, but like, I just, what is an inspirational logo anyway? I don't know. Um, a good logo, sure. I mean, like, these conference logos are not inspirational. Well, because, yeah, they all have to have letters in them, right? Like, that's part of the problem. 
like you have to put the name of the conference on it because otherwise people aren't going to know what it means. Like, so anytime you have that many, I don't know. The the big West logo, the new big West logo does not have the name of the conference in it. And I hate it. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Like the big, the big West logo is kind of a weird one. Like they wear it. The umpires wear it on their hats. And every week I watch a big West game and I'm like, why do you make them do this? Yeah. If you showed me the big West logo, which by the way is like a W turned on its like 45 degrees to the left i'm sure the designer thinks that it's a b combined with a w but i'm here to tell you it's not oh my gosh i never even thought of that i would have thought that it's like a w like moving forward you know like it's like where this conference is moving forward we're the anyway i mean it is an upgrade over the old big west logo which looks like it was done like freehand by someone <laughs> you know with the stars and the um i think it had stars in it anyway um uh, where, where was i here oh yeah inspiring logos oh if you if you if you had showed me the big west logo this is what i was gonna get to if you showed me the big west logo and you told me within the context of baseball like okay this is related to, to baseball or even athletics and you showed me the big west logo i would have thought it's a logo for like a bat company or something you know that's kind of what it what it looks like you so, know what i think it is before we move on i think it like would be a great logo for b-dubs because it also it's a mm. three turned on its side as well Ooh. which i guess w's and threes look pretty similar but i see a w and a three when i see it instantly like again i am sure the designer will tell you there's a b and a w in it and like they're not wrong but like i see a w and a three and i'm like oh b-dubs <laughs> that's that's what this logo is why is b-dubs advertising on this umpire's hat you should be running the marketing firm. Sounds like I'll get yes. you. I'll get you the name that, offline. We'll, we'll oh. pivot. We'll pivot. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make sure to get that contact information for you when we when we finish up here. Um, anyway, so there's just like again the chaos in this conference. I think is kind of fitting of what is going on. I don't want to call it chaos because they they're doing what they can. I actually give them a lot of credit for they're being they're trying to be proactive about securing their future. Um, and so I give them credit for that uh, because the, the reality is that when you're in a league like that, like you're just, when other conferences come calling, you're going to get poached. There's not a lot you can offer as the Southland uh, to keep teams, to keep teams there. So, um, but they are fighting back against that. I think they deserve credit for that. So I don't want to call it chaos, but just the, the upheaval in the league um, seems kind of fitting when you, when you compare it to what's happening in the league standings, which is also interesting from a baseball standpoint, because it does show that, Let's assume this conference more or less stays as is, plus plus Lamar, minus Incarnate Word, plus AM Commerce. Let's assume that group stays together. There is like an interesting discussion to be had, big picture, about who becomes the class of this league. Um, Sam Houston had not been that the last couple of years. However, there's no argument that over the past, let's just call it a decade, like that is the, the, the program the conference has run through. And so there is like an opening there for that to be someone else moving forward. And it we have yet to kind of determine who's that going to be. Interesting times in the Southland. I think this weekend in the Summit League is very intriguing. I have been trying for weeks to figure out who is the better team between North Dakota State and Oral Roberts. And now we get to find it out on the field. North Dakota State, I felt like, had played the harder Summit League schedule. They've played one extra series and they've played Omaha. I could be wrong that Oral Roberts has now played Omaha and Millie is not going to let me look up anything on my computer right now. So we're just going to have to work with that. Uh, but North Dakota State, Todd Brown, who led uh, the program for 14 years, left last season uh, after leading them to regionals to become the head coach at New Mexico, 
they uh, promote Tyler Oaks, who had been there uh, for the better part of a decade as the pitching coach, and they've kept humming right along. It's uh, it's a really impressive feat by the Bison. That's, I mean, the Summit League is what it is, but like we're talking about a program that's operating in a state without high school baseball, with uh, you know the limitations that, that come from just playing in North Dakota. Um, and Oral Roberts, we, we all know what that program has been historically, but North Dakota State now feels like they're right there at the top of the conference with, uh, with Oral Roberts. So big series there in, uh, in the summit. And I wanted to avoid talking about uh, this Grand Canyon, San Diego State, Stanford threesome this weekend uh, because it's so weird and because San Diego State is so bad this year, like way off the radar. But San Diego State had long been the most consistent program in the Mountain West. And this year, the bottom has really, truly fallen out. Um, but Joe mentioned, could Grand Canyon host? And that piqued my interest. Grand Canyon right now, 21 in RPI, 24 in strength of schedule, which I think is significant. I didn't mention this with the Mercer and Wofford hosting discussion. Neither one of them has a good strength of schedule. Wofford is 74 right now. Mercer is 141. Uh, that Mercer mark goes down when you talk about non-conference play, which is a neat trick if you play in the SoCon. Uh, Wofford slightly goes up. Grand Canyon, just looking at non-conference strength of schedule. Now, this did not get Ball State anywhere last year except for right on the bubble. So, like, I don't know how much they actually look at this, but Grand Canyon, non-conference strength of schedule, five. I mean, they're really trying out there, and they're winning games. They've won 13 games away from home. Everything on this schedule or on Grand Canyon's team sheet suggests they might actually be able to host. The RPI is a little low right now. If they were to beat Stanford in one of those two games this weekend, that would really help. Obviously, two wins would help even more. To your point, though, Joe, the rest of the whack, it's not helping them the rest of the way. Uh, they're really going to have to to make some hay against Stanford and pretty much, I would guess, like not lose again. Uh, they do still have two more Pac-12 games after this. They're at Arizona and home against Arizona State. But, um, you know, the, the rest of their their games are against teams north of 150. Uh, so I, I would be surprised if... Um, if they were able to host ultimately, I think they'll, they'll just, again, like, like Wofford, like Mercer be a really tough two seed that no one wants to see uh, in their regional. The, uh, the other thing about um, that, that I noticed from, from looking at this is next or in two weeks, Grand Canyon plays Sacramento state, Sacramento state, of course, made a lot of noise when they swept Long Beach state and were undefeated to start the season uh, things have not gone well from that point for uh, for Sac State. So, I mean, you can add them to to that Bryant sweep of East Carolina early on that you mentioned. Uh, and there was one other series, uh, I, I guess, Long Beach State going to Mississippi State. Just weird early season results that haven't held up. Uh, Sac State sweeping uh, Long Beach State certainly on that list as well. Yeah, the uh, Grand Canyon, if they don't host, like it'll be interesting. Like Arizona's hosting case, which looked strong a few weeks ago, has obviously taken a hit now. They would obviously be a very clear two seed 
to go to Tucson if that were to play out? Yes, if, if, if Arizona go- hosts, they will go there. If not, they're headed to one of the, I mean, Stanford, Oregon, Oregon State, Gonzaga. Somebody out west is drawing them. Yeah, that's just going to be a, a tough, uh, a tough deal. Breathing a sigh of relief, uh, probably that there are enough West Coast places for Grand Canyon to go would be Texas Tech. That is sometimes a place that sucks up teams from Arizona and New Mexico, given that they are in in West Texas. Well, uh, Texas Tech breathing a sigh of relief if they actually get get to host. But I would say all well, of the Texas yes. schools and and Oklahoma State as well, because um, you know it's not it's not drivable, but. What they don't love to fly teams across the country if they can avoid it. So yeah, the the West Coast schools that don't get into West Coast regionals often end up in the somewhere in Texas or Oklahoma. Yeah, the uh, yeah, I mean Texas Tech maybe not hosting is is a good point there. What I was building to there though is that Grand Canyon has beaten Texas Tech twice this year. So I mean, Grand Canyon would... is part of the reason why Texas Tech does not project as a host. Like we yeah. we don't have time probably right now to talk about Texas Tech's midweek foibles, but like. When when coaches talk about how midweek games are important for RPI and everything, just go look at Texas Tech. Yep, yep, yeah. I mean, I beat the drum for it every year, and I, I don't practice what I preach. Sometimes, I mean, part of it's just because you know you got to take a break sometime. But you know, midweek results can sometimes slip off the radar. But like those games end up playing a pretty big role, which is part of why Grand Canyon is here, right? I mean, they they have beaten Arizona this year, they have beaten Oregon State this year, they've beaten Texas Tech this year, so um, they've they've knocked some knock some teams off and, and that is, has been a big help in, in um, building what they've built so far. All right. So intriguing weekend of college baseball around the country, some fun stuff, uh, not, not the most usual stuff that, that you would expect. I mean, I, I don't know how many people expected the, uh, the SoCon series to be one of the, the must watch series of the weekend, but uh, that makes I think for a more fun, I know Joe agrees with that, a, a more fun weekend of college baseball when you're able to, uh, to expand your horizons a little bit. So that's what this weekend is all about. A lot to follow. We'll have it all covered for you over at baseballamerica.com. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. And we will be back here with another edition of the Baseball America College podcast on Monday, recapping the weekend as Throughout the regular season, we go twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays, with that uh, recap of the weekend and then previewing the weekend to come. So make sure you're subscribed to the Baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get the your podcasts, hit that follow, hit that subscribe button, and we come right at you twice a week. Uh, all right. We will be back here on Monday recapping the series. Until then, thank you for listening. For Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next time. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. 
And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said. Done.